0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, June 3rd, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. The telecom reform of the 1990s is broadly considered to be a success. Trends for prices and quality of access to the Internet are all moving the right direction. So why is there such a strong push for change? Larry Downs is an Internet Industry Analyst and Project Director of the Georgetown Center for Business and Public Policy's Evolution of Regulation and Innovation Project and author of a new piece in Regulation Magazine. We spoke last month describe to me the success that was the 1996 telecommunications act
1: right so the the 96 act was you know a bipartisan uh, piece of legislation during the clinton administration that that De- deregulated much of the telecom industry, but more importantly, uh, set forward in motion the policy of the United States that broadband technologies, internet technologies, anything to do with digital or IP was going to be hands-off as much as possible, not only for federal regulators like the FTC, but also for states. All right. So
0: what does that mean Yeah. for, for, that for, tech, for the techno- development of technology and the speed at which people are able to access the internet.
1: So, I mean, one thing it's meant is a trillion dollars in private investment that's happened in the last decade alone, largely because uh, investors knew that they could, you know, do these things with a largely unregulated environment, and so we have, uh, by any measure you want to look at, you know, we have the the most fiber in the world, we have the most broadband lines, we have the most consumers that are connected. We obviously have, you know, eight of the ten most valuable internet companies uh, in the world. Another piece of the 96 Act uh, was a section called Section 230 that gave liability away for uh, anything having to do with uh, content for websites. So if you post a website and somebody posts a, a comment. You can't be sued for libel or for it or any other sort of thing. All of those things together has meant that, you know, I think by any measure, the United States has become the champion of the Internet economy in every measure. And, of course, that's, uh, that's, that's really what's driven to the extent that the U.S. economy has grown in the period since 96. That's it. Uh, if, if these are all
0: successes and presumably successes that are uh, widely touted by the FCC, I would imagine... Why have they begun the process of regulating broadband?
1: Well, there's so there's there's two main reasons, and both of them are pretty pretty sad. I mean, one is uh, it's sort of their own issues. They they have nothing left to do really in the telecom space. What they used to regulate, the old uh, wireline analog uh, public switch telephone network is rapidly disappearing. It's, you know, numbers up to 85% of all households have already cut that line uh, and gone to better and cheaper digital technology or mobile technology or both. So increasingly, there's very little left for the FCC to do when it comes to communications, and they want a place. They want some role to play in the broadband economy. Uh, and they've been looking for years, but particularly in the last couple years, they've just kind sort of been poking here and poking there to see how they can get around Congress's clear statement that this was not an area for them to regulate to kind of, you know, nose their way in.
0: For most people, that would sound like a ridiculous reason to want to jump into regulating something that Congress has explicitly said you shouldn't be regulating.
1: Well, most people don't work for the Federal Communications Commission. All right. You said there are two reasons. Yeah. The other, the other is even sadder. It's sort of very basic rent-seeking activity. We had uh, one of the things the 96 Act did was created this whole world of what's called competitive local exchange carriers or CLEX. Uh One of the things that 96 Act said was that the local lines, the facilities, that the, the wires themselves, the switching stations had to be unbundled, which meant other companies could come in and pay a fee that would be regulated by the FCC and offer their own local telephone service using the same facilities. So we had this giant explosion of, of companies. Most of them were you know, speculators and, and, and sort of Wall Street types who created these fake phone companies, these virtual phone companies. Uh, many of them, or most of them, failed. Uh, they weren't really able to offer a value proposition for consumers. That was particularly uh, encouraging. Uh, but the few that remained have sort of branched out. They're into, into enterprise or business services. They've built some of their own facilities, and they really like the FCC because the FCC FCC has has always been their champion, has always been kind of in their pocket. Uh, As we again move away from what's left of the analog network, which they've relied on heavily into broadband, uh, they very much, much need the FCC to come with them if they're really going to survive. How has the FCC operationalized its regulation thus far? Well, it's uh, so it, it opened an investigation now uh, 10 years ago uh, to look at uh, enterprise data services. Uh, this is one of the fronts in which it's trying to get back into the regulating broadband. And uh, it wanted to see if the way it deregulated, if it had gone far enough, if there were sort of tweaks it wanted to make. This sort of investigation has dragged on uh, now for, for over a decade. Uh, and they kind of they lit up a few years ago and said, hey, wait a minute, we can use this uh, as a lever to get back into business. And so they kind of changed the whole scope of it. They did this massive data collection uh, to look at uh, enterprise services to see if they were competitive and and where they were and where they weren't. Uh, And now they've just issued a a, a notice uh, just a month ago saying, uh, we've decided that uh, there's not enough competition in in, uh, business data services, and we're going to uh, sort of reinstitute rate regulation and, and bring the whole thing in, even the ones that were never regulated, the ones from cable companies and fiber companies, it's all going to be brought in now into a, a new massive regime of, uh, of broadband regulation.
0: From a free market economist perspective, it would seem sort of perverse to say, there isn't enough competition in your market, let's regulate it.
1: <laughs> well, it's more perverse than that because there is enough competition in the market. I mean, this is the, you know, they've really had to do these amazing dances around the data they collected to say there isn't competition. Uh, it's true that, in, you know, most buildings, uh, of course, you know, have the copper wire going into them, uh, and they don't necessarily have a piece of fiber, they don't necessarily have coax, although most of them have that as well. But even the FCC's own uh, economist said, look, you know, most buildings that have businesses in the United States are no more than 75 feet away from a piece of fiber or a piece of cable. That's all it would take to, you know, to, to get that next piece of facility in there. Um, that, if, if that doesn't constitute you know, adequate choice for businesses, then nothing does. And of course, nothing the FCC is going to do is going to help that. Presumably it's just going to make it worse.
0: How What do you make of the public arguments about uh, regulating broadband and about the uh, sort of net neutrality arguments as they've been presented? How do you evaluate them?
1: So, obviously, most of the public arguments are about consumer broadband access, um, which is which is a very different uh, ball of wax. Um, but, you know, again, I think most of it, it's been driven by a very successful uh, but very misleading uh, sort of campaign of rhetoric from, again, some rent-seeking is involved, some politics are involved. Uh, you, you have some sort of advocacy groups, uh, presumably funded by companies that would uh, do well for under-regulated uh, uh, broadband environment because then they don't have to compete with so many uh, providers uh, and uh, it's been a di- you know, uh, I can't yet say it's been a disaster because it's only been now a little less than a year since the most recent attempt at instituting these uh, these, these rules have gone into place and of course there's a court challenge we're all waiting for the decision on uh, sometime in the next uh, m- month or two so we'll see if this is now the third time the courts throw it out uh, under, the, under the rubric I started with which is on the 96 96- Act says you can't do this, and the FCC keeps trying to, to do it, but if the court does uphold some or, or all of that uh, net neutrality rulemaking, uh, it almost certainly will decrease the environment for investment in, in sort of the next generation of broadband technology, 5G networks that we we're all hearing about, uh, and it could, uh, it could ultimately contract the internet economy in a way that's harmful to the very people who are promoting these rules and, and really confusing consumers about what's, what's best for them.
0: Larry Downs is project director of the Georgetown Center for Business and Public Policy's Evolution of Regulation and Innovation project. Subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Google Play, and with Cato's iOS app, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.